on the sports desk of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal and RedRaiders.com. Here's your look at all things Texas Tech sports. Now, here's the Red Raider Podcast. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another weekly edition of the uh, Texas Tech Football Podcast brought to you by Lubbock Avalanche Journal, the HA Media Sports Department. I'm uh, Texas Tech Football beat writer Don Williams, joined as always by AJ Media Sports Editor Carlos Silva. We're into uh, overlapping seasons time, Carlos. Now uh, basketball is underway, but still wrapping up football. Texas Tech hosting Kansas in what I presume will be the season finale on Saturday, although the Bulls, Bulls don't have really have any minimum win requirement this year, so nope. so who knows? I, th- I think Saturday will be the last last game, though, and we'll get to Texas Tech and Kansas. It's 11 a.m. kickoff this week. Uh, first, though, we'll recap a little bit of uh, Texas Tech and Oklahoma State. Red Raiders losing Stillwater last week, 52-44, um, a game that had some some big swings. To, you know, Tech leading early with the uh, – Sir Roderick Thompson touchdown mm-hmm. and falls behind and leads 24 to 21. And, uh, and then the wheels fell off, Carlos. Well, here's the thing that, that, that I have to ask you, Don, because, I mean, you obviously were watching it. Maybe you have a little bit better of a perspective because you were actually there and maybe there was – I know I, I don't consider momentum a thing. I think you just kind of have to make plays. So watching that contest, like you said, they – had the lead, they lost the lead, they took the lead. And then the one thing that really kind of stuck out to me was I agree with the call, but it just seems like every time there is a big time call that Matt Wells seems to be aggressive with, because I feel like that's something that fans have always been wondering, well, why isn't our coach more aggressive? Why isn't he more aggressive? He's finally aggressive. He calls an onside kick right after a touchdown, which again, in terms of momentum, if you're into that, that would give you a ton of momentum. If you score a touchdown, you get the ball back, and then your offense is still rolling. Instead, uh, the best way I can, I guess, describe it, and, of course, you asked Coach Wells, and we kind of listened to his answer afterward, but it didn't seem like the ball was kicked uh, the, the way it should have been. And I don't know if, again, not to make excuses, because Matt Wells, of course, as Chris Beard likes to say, no excuse program, but uh, you got a backup kicker in Jonathan Garibay, with kicking duties compared to the guy that you've had before, Trey Wolf, that has done onside kick duties as well. Now, granted, Garibay is the kickoff specialist, but I think that was more for obviously kicking it a lot longer. I think Wolf is more of the accurate uh, kicker. I think that's probably the best way I could put that. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, long story short, I thought the call was correct. It's just uh, with, with all the way that things have gone this season, I'm just unsure as to why that call was made because of the way that the execution has gone. And I think that's where my question about making that onside kick call comes to Matt Wells, because it seems like everything was going well. The defense was playing well, about as well as it has, I mean, for for what it's worth. I mean, obviously it's gotten tired because of, as you've mentioned throughout the week's all the injuries on the defensive line. Sometimes you've had some guys in the, in the back end of the defense out for, for whatever it is, reasons, obviously COVID or injury related, but man, Don, I mean, you, you, you think that you just kind of keep some momentum or whatever you want to call it, some good feelings, positive mood. And then all of a sudden you literally just kind of lose it with literally 
I don't know, five to 10 seconds, uh, a little squib, squib kick to the right, and you're just not able to get it. And then obviously Oklahoma State runs it back. I don't know how you felt about it, but like I said, I thought it was a good call. I just don't understand why you call it when you kind of look at all the previous history as to when a call like that is made, you've seen your guys not execute. Um, well, I, I'm kind of with the with the fans on a lot of the fans on this one. That's not what it's not the call. The it's not what I would have done at that time. I just felt like the risk reward uh, favor was more tilted toward uh, risk, and of course, it turned into disaster because if you if you don't recover, it's going to give up. Didn't give up the field position anyway. Mm-hmm. Let alone uh, let alone you get the total backfire with a kickoff return for a touchdown. Yeah. You have to lead. You have to lead your defense. Your defense was playing, had been playing okay for that during that previous stretch. Mm-hmm. Although they gave up a lot, ton of yards on the ground for the game, correct. But uh, uh, th- that's not the. I, I would not have made that move at that time. And okay. then of course, and, and then you wind up playing. Uh, then you wind up digging yourself in a really big hole because right after the kickoff, right after the onside kickoff return for a touchdown, then Alan Bowman throws the pick six. You're down by. You're that's a two score game. They did come back, made it interesting there at the end. But, uh, you know, the, the game turned on a special teams touchdown and a, and a defensive touchdown, which is not, uh, which, is not uh, which is not a game that a team like Texas Tech can win when you're giving up scores like that. Well, the other thing, too, is I guess I can see the point of Oklahoma State really wasn't rolling, and you kind of look at it, their offense wasn't that good. And then the two scores that you just mentioned and alluded to, special teams and defense. So their offense didn't necessarily have to have all that pressure on them because then after that, as, as you kind of alluded to as well, the running game was probably the best that it has been against the Texas Tech defense, which it, for the most part, I guess, kept guys in check. I mean, obviously you're going against Brees Hall and kind of all these other uh, great running backs in the Big 12, but but I think for the most part, they've kind of kept them in check. And I think Chuba and kind of all those guys really kind of stepped in and really kind of made it feel like, okay, Texas Tech may – may uh, kind of realize that they are missing some guys on on the defensive line and maybe even their linebackers. Well, of course, Chuba Hubbard didn't play last Saturday against Texas Tech, but Desmond Jackson still correct. In, goes for goes for 235 yards. and, and three That's touchdowns. correct. And could, and, could, and could have been four if he hadn't slid down at the end. And that was kind of the uh, – that was the thing that um, that you didn't expect to happen. You thought with – you know, you, knew, you saw a pregame that Hubbard was going to be out, and then the second – then L.D. Brown, who was their number two running back, uh, was a little bit of a surprise that he did not play. So Oklahoma State down to its third string running back. You figure, think, uh, you figure, okay, there's a check in Texas Tech's box. The run defense should be solid today. But uh, Jackson goes for 235, and that 235 is the most yards that uh, uh, Tech has given up in the Matt Wells era. Um, and so that makes it uh, – how does Oklahoma State get to fifty? Uh, they they ran the ball effectively. I, I think that's kind of the discouraging thing from that standpoint. Is Oklahoma State was without its top offensive lineman and Tevin Jenkins. Their offensive line has really had some issues all yeah. year. No, that's fair. And and then when they lose their top two running backs, um, you think the defense should have a good day. And again, two of those scores were were a defensive touchdown, a special teams touchdown, but still. Yeah. Tech probably gave up more on the whole than 
than you would have expected, and and then they and obviously that they then they could afford to and, and still have a shot to win that game. And of course, Tellen Wallace, of course, had a pretty good game. He's going to be someone that he's going to probably be in the NFL at some point. So certainly that's something to look at. Do you take anything from Tech actually scoring forty four? Do you think it was just kind of uh, in in kind of catch up mode, and that was the reason that they were able to score those touchdowns kind of at the end there? Oh, yeah, I thought I thought overall it was a good offensive game, probably the best offensive game that they've played since Texas when they scored the fifty six points. Uh, yeah, because you know the the running game was. Uh, was was good. Thompson goes for one. I forget the specific number. Thompson Thompson goes for over a hundred with fifty nine yard touchdown, twenty four yard touchdown. Xavier yep. White, Xavier White goes nine times for ninety eight yards and breaks yep. the seventy yard touchdown. So the you know mm-hmm. the run game was good. Alan Bowman, pardon me, Alan Bowman, with the exception of pick six, he throws for three eighty four and three touchdowns. Yeah, passing game pretty consistent. I mean it was five. Pardon me, six hundred and. 39 yards for Tech, which was the most since the Montana State game. Yeah. Both for the storm that uh, Matt Wells coached for the Red Raiders. So, yeah, the, uh, I thought the, uh, the offense was pretty good. Um, yeah, and, you know, that's the thing. You score 44. If, if, you, if, you, tell, if you tell us that uh, you're going to sc- – before the game you're going to score 44, what do you feel like your chances are? Pretty good. You probably take your chances with that. And so yeah. that's – you know, that – magnifies again we keep talking about all these close losses that texas tech has experienced the last couple of years and Mm -hmm. what that does when you're when you lose games close is it magnifies every little every decision and in this game this week it's the onside uh, kickoff that blows up in your face well obviously uh that's kind of washed now because now texas tech as you mentioned at the top of this is gonna prepare for kansas as they Played that uh, everyone's favorite 11 a.m. game on Saturday at Jones AT&T Stadium. I know Puka Williams won't be in the backfield, so obviously that's something. But there's a lot of young freshman talent on that on that uh, Kansas team. I know they've played 26 true freshmen in 26. Pardon me, true freshmen this season, most by any team nationally, which is something to kind of look at. Obviously, they're maybe building to the future. Some obviously kind of opted out, kind of like Puka did. But uh, the thing that I'm going to take away is just how Texas Tech handles this adversity of can you win this final game? Can you, as as the uh, cliche goes, can you leave the seniors on a high note, kind of all this stuff? And in theory, you would think the history shows that Texas Tech has been able to get these victories against Kansas. But uh, one of those losses that Matt Wells has had and one of the wins that uh, Les Miles has had, his first Big 12 win, came against the old Red Raiders last year, and that was due to that field goal. And coincidentally, I looked this up, Don. Do you remember the last time Texas Tech lost to Kansas, the second – or pardon me, the first time they lost? Uh, do you remember that one? It, 2001. Um, yeah, I covered that one too. Yeah, yeah I was a, well, I, I figured you covered everything. but An overtime period. Uh, yeah, I, I just kind of wanted to show – that, that I did do some research. They lost in the same fashion, a field goal, fourth field goal. Uh, the loss in, in uh, to Texas or Texas Tech lost to Kansas on a field goal, lost to a field goal last year, obviously in different circumstances. But I think uh, certainly uh, when you look at Kansas, Don, I, I'm not sure what else to say other than uh, Texas Tech should be able to handle them in terms of what talent they have. Obviously, there's some things going on earlier this week that you've been writing about with Eli Howard, TJ Vasher, some things that'll pop up that 
can show that, yes, it's going to hurt their offense a little bit. But I think, as you mentioned, Eric has stepped up, had one of his better games last weekend against Oklahoma State. You saw Miles Price step in. You saw Jalen Polk step up. And you also saw Loic Fungi, a, a kid that Matt Wells has been talking about since the beginning of preseason, that uh, finally kind of had one of uh, a ESPN Sports Center touchdown. Yeah. Well, bottom, bottom line, Tech, tech, tech should win this game easily. I mean, you're a 27 and a half point favorite. Yes. And even this Kansas team is not as good as the Kansas team that, that beat you last year. Yeah. Um, they are, they rank 111th or worse in 13 statistical categories in the FBS. I mean, they're bottom of the barrel in just about everything that you can name. And so this should be a, should be an easy win for the Red Raiders. I think it will be an easy win for Texas Tech. Um, you you, t- you mentioned a couple of things, a um, couple of developments this week. T.J. Vasher uh, having surgery on his knee on Wednesday, so obviously he's not going to be playing on mm-hmm. Saturday. But T.J. had not has not started since the second game of the season. The last time he started, Eric Azagamas taking his place at at his position, and then Jalen Polk over at the X receiver spot. That's kind of been the way they've looked for, for most of the season now. And then it was announced on Wednesday that uh, the college gridiron showcase and symposium uh, has an extended an invitation to Eli Howard, and mm-hmm. he had accepted that. And that's kind of a pro scouting combine event that's held in January, January 17th through the 21st in Fort Worth. Eli, Eli Howard, according to the uh, – College Gridiron Showcase accepted the invitation, so that kind of suggests that uh, this that Eli probably won't be back next year, and that'll be kind of one of the interesting things to watch next week. Is you have 17 seniors, Matt Wells said they're going to honor all 17 on Saturday. Now, any and all of those guys have the opportunity to come back because the NCAA not docking anybody eligibility during the COVID. Mm-hmm. So anybody can come back. None of those guys, none of those 17 guys, have said publicly whether they are coming back or whether they are leaving. Uh, but, again, with Wednesday's announcement, uh, it looks like Eli Howard's probably not coming back next year. And uh, Matt Wells said, you know, some of those conversations have already started in the past month or so. They've talked to some guys kind of informally to get a feel for what uh, for what they are going to do. But uh, none of them has said publicly. So I expect quite a few of those guys will be – uh, quite a few of those guys will be kind of making that announcement or tech will be announcing it for them next week. And then beyond that, uh, I guess the, the big top, one of the big topics of conversation is what is uh, Texas Tech's football future and what is Matt Wells' football future with Texas Tech? Yeah, I was about to say, obviously, uh, again, as you mentioned, the 27.5-point favorites. If you get the win, obviously you get a, a nice feeling, but I certainly think with the with the losses and certainly even if you are with four wins at the end of the year, you feel like you should have had more. You obviously were leading Texas. You were leading Kansas State. made some decisions that were questionable, as you had mentioned earlier in this uh, podcast. But I think uh, for you, Don, after this Kansas game, I, I certainly think uh, it would be fair to say that there will be a conversation between Matt Wells and Kirby Hokut after this season. Yeah, well, and there always is. No matter yeah. no matter how no matter how a season goes, your your AD and your head coaches always have an end of season meeting. That's in every sport, and that's every year. Um, now there are porches that would obviously like to get rid of Matt Wells, who don't mm-hmm. like what they've seen the last couple of years. But yeah, 
Kirby Holcutt's the guy who, who makes that decision unless there are um, uh, unless he can get the school president against him, which uh, I, I, I'm not sure that's going to happen because Lawrence Skubnik's given Kirby, Kirby Okut something like three raises in about five years, unless you can get a line of the school president and board of regents uh, and a majority of board of regents against him. Um, then Kirby Okut still gets to make the call on who the football coach is. Uh, I, I don't think that, uh, I don't think there's going to be any change after this season. Part of it's because the economics of it, yeah. You have, you know, in this COVID year, we've talked about this before, Tech laid off 40, uh, Tech cut 40 positions in the athletics department. 20 of those were people who are actively working. The other 20 are positions that are unfilled. But, you know, you've slashed at least $25 million from your athletic budget this year. I think it's likely to be more than that. And, um, and you still owe Cliff Kingsbury another payment in January. Cliff uh, is due another $2 million by January 5th. That's his last uh, for because his contract ran through this year. Correct. So they still have to pay him half of what he was due to coach in 2020. So you'd be to make a move, you'd have to be pay Cliff Kingsbury two million dollars. You'd have to pay Matt Wells about nine million dollars, and then you would have to uh, obviously pay a new head coach and new staff members, and you'd also have to. Um, continue making some payments to some assistant coaches as well. Mm-hmm. So you, uh, what are you talking about there? Um, again, you, you're, you're talking about pay, having to pay $11 million and that's just for, for coaches, coach. for coaches yeah. not to coach before yeah. you even talk about hiring a second coach. So to, yeah. or hiring th- the, the next coach. So from a financial standpoint, I, I don't think, uh, Kirby Yoga's going to go down that road. And, um, and I'm not sure, uh, regardless of what you think of Matt Wills' in-game decision-making, that, uh, that, uh, that, that two years is a fair opportunity to, uh, to, get the, to get the thing turned around and get it going. I guess it depends, by the perspective. Maybe, it kind of maybe depends on – I was going to say, it kind of maybe depends on what you think of – where he is talent wise. Yeah. Some, and it, some people can look at the, some people can look at this roster and say he's improving it with some of the transfers he's gotten and with a small what looks like what's going to be a small signing class, but looks like mm-hmm. has some higher end talent than what Texas Tech is normally accustomed to. You look at the average star, star ranking mm-hmm. on the guys they have committed and it's four it's it's fourth in the Big Twelve and about thirty last time I looked, about thirty second, thirty third, something like that in the FBS. Um, so if you believe he's improving the talent, then that's, uh, uh another possible reasons to, to stay with him. Other people look at it as take the glass half empty view and say that, you know, the class itself, because of the, how few numbers it has, it's ranked around in the eighties now, uh, which is as one of the worst, as bad as it's ever been. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, too, is he's two years into a six year contract when he first signed that. So, yeah, yeah, you have to think of that. Um, Going back to your point about the roster, it's smaller this year because he said that they're trying to focus on transfers, just like as you had mentioned in a story earlier this season. He's trying to kind of go that transfer route where it's worked for Chris Beard. It seems like it's slightly working for him because I, I think I've mentioned it to you. There was a 
a game. I can't remember uh, the moment, but I know it, there was a strip by Colin Schooler from Arizona. Zach McPherson picked it up. And then obviously, or maybe it was Jacob Morgenstern and uh, Colin Schooler that, that were on that. So yeah. uh, one from Arizona, one from, um, pardon me, Penn State, that's Zach McPherson. And Jacob Morgenstern, a special teams guy, uh, for, for all intents and purposes, has now been a, a regular in the in the backfield of, of the uh, defense as well. He's kind of stepped in and kind of played well. So certainly their evaluations have been good in terms of transfers. It's just a lot like you said, Don, it's just a matter of obviously people not liking the in-game decisions. But the thing is, is there are small things that are getting improved upon if, if you want to look at it that way, or you can look at it the other way where maybe there aren't things that are getting improved on. But I think that the one thing that you can kind of look at as something that has happened in previous years, there are certain position positions or position coaches or coordinators that maybe have not uh, lived up to their expectations, I think is the best way to kind of put that. It happened last year where you had some changes in the defensive backs. Uh, this year, you can certainly say maybe the offensive line hasn't played to its potential. You can certainly say the the offense. I don't think the, the offense. offense in general, frankly. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And so what you're getting at, if, will there be staff changes? Yeah, I think there will be staff changes. That's yeah. not based necessarily on on inside intel because yeah. there normally are staff changes and yeah. particularly if you finish with a, with a sub 500 record. So I think there will be staff changes. I don't think there's going to be a change at the top though. I agree. And, and, and I think I, I know some people will probably look at it and be like, well, the, the same guy at the top is still there, but again, you're still changing things that are not working. Uh, I, I don't know how you feel about it. I think I'd rather have your perspective more than mine, but how do you feel the defensive backs have played with their new coaches after last year? I know early on it didn't seem like they were playing too well, but now all of a sudden Zach McPherson has turned into an all-Big 12 defensive player, in, in, in my view, frankly. Yeah, you know, they give up. They're, they're still giving up too many yards past defense-wise, I think, yeah. 76 yards. They're 108th in the nation in pass defense, although – you know, you look at it, and, and I'm kind of like a lot of people. I, I, my appearances, I mean, it's better than last year. They're, they haven't given up near near the number of big plays through the air mm-hmm. that they gave up last year. And they're also countering it by, by making some plays. because Yeah, and turnovers. Mm-hmm. You know, McPherson, is, uh, McPherson seems like does something good every game. DeMarcus Fields, uh, he, he and DeMarcus Fields, I think, are – uh, I haven't checked this, but they're right there at or near the top of the lead in, in the Big 12 and passes def- passes defended. Mm-hmm. Fields, Fields had Tylen Wallace all day on Saturday, and you know Wallace made some plays against him. He caught seven passes for 129 yards, but Fields made some plays as well. I mean, Wallace, a couple of those balls, a couple of those plays, Wallace is actually his two biggest plays, the ball, the the catch early in the game down the sideline and then a touchdown catch. I mean, Marcus, DeMarcus Fields did everything he possibly could. Yeah. He actually tipped the ball on the touchdown. Uh, the co- his coverage was great, but it's just Talon Wallace is a fantastic receiver. Mm, so but, but, talent beats talent, you know? <laughs> yeah. Get back to your point, though. Yeah, I, I think, uh, uh, you know, statistically it still doesn't look good, but I, you know, but watching it, at least they have some, some guys making some plays consistently making some plays in the defensive backfield. Yeah, and I think that kind of goes to what uh, Coach Patterson has talked about. I know we had asked, I guess, I don't know if it was you or I that had asked, what, what are some stats that they look at in terms of 
what will make them feel like they've had a good defensive, you know, stop or a good de- or a good defensive day. And I know one thing was third down stops, fourth down stops, which could include missed field goals or anything like that. Turnovers are obviously the big thing. So I think you would have to look at it game by game, but I agree when you look at just the outside numbers, if you will, like you look at the stats about how many yards they've given up. Yeah, it looks like a lot, but the thing is, is when you look at it game by game, if maybe there aren't, like you said, as many big chunk plays that they've given up in previous years, obviously Oklahoma's going to kind of skew that a little bit because they really kind of did a number on Texas Tech's defense. But I think overall, I think they've kept the ball in front of them. Uh, the, the other thing, too, is like you said, I think the the biggest change is just Zach McPherson and kind of the guys making strip strip fumbles and getting all those fumble recoveries. I think that's the one thing that is going to be the game changer in the Big 12 is the turnovers. And I think if Keith Patterson is able to increase that number into next year, that's certainly going to help the defense. But I, I honestly think that you're not going to have a lockdown defense in terms of passing numbers in the Big 12, Don. I, I I think that's just tough to kind of look at with all the playmakers that you have. I think the best thing you can do is, as Keith Patterson has said, just keep the ball in front of you, try and make, make them make a mistake, or you kind of force, force the turnover on them by getting so many guys to kind of gang tackle. You get one guy to strip the ball, and then obviously Zach, uh, pardon me, Zach McPherson has kind of showed what can happen when you do something there. But, but yeah, I – I would like to think their defense has gotten a little bit better. Obviously, there are some games that is true and some games that that is not true. Uh, you could kind of go back and I think just an overall feeling, uh, kind of watching most of these games, I think uh, you can say the defense is probably better than the offense this year. And I think that's been a rarity over the last several years or even as long as you've covered them. And I don't know if that's a fair assessment uh, from me. Probably for, uh, yeah, for most of the last 20 years, for most of the last 20 years, for sure. Yeah. So spread passing year. Yeah. Yeah. So I I certainly think that's something to kind of look at in terms of, I know that's one of the things that Kirby had mentioned when he did want to hire a new coach was he wanted a overall coach. He wanted a coach that could coach offense, defense, and special teams, certainly special teams and offense have not been uh, the two strong points so far this year. I was going to say special special teams was good last year. And then, yeah. Then really bad this year. And then they found Jonathan Garibay though. And then all of a sudden things kind of changed a little bit, not to say that it's fantastic, but yeah, like I said, I mean, you've had your moments with each of them. It's just, I think, as you mentioned, Don, I think this is going to be maybe the, the uh, storyline with Matt Wells is just the end game decision-making in terms of just putting his team in a bad spot. Yet the team has been able to find ways and correct me if I'm wrong, or maybe say if my statement's out of line here, but in previous years, if that happened, maybe things kind of go out of hand a little bit quicker than they have, or maybe the team hasn't had the had the grit to maybe come back, if that's the best way I can put that to you. Uh, that's probably true, I think. I'm sure we can find, I'm sure I can think of examples where to, to kind of counter that, but I mean, yeah. I mean, they've been in every game with the exception of, uh, I mean, Oklahoma is the only team that yeah, the last two years has, has pretty much uh, has pretty much owned Tech and 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 and, and won easily against the Red Raiders. And I think that's something else to kind of keep in mind too, Don. I'm obviously you've covered them for so long. I think the fact that they've won some games in the Big Twelve under Matt Wells that maybe have not been won before. I think that's something to look at because I know that there was a stat that you had mentioned to me a couple years ago was uh, Texas Tech minus. 
wins against Kansas at home hadn't had too many wins against other teams in the big 12. So, I mean, certainly it, you can. Well, I mean, we're on a, what? 11. It's 11 seasons now that Texas had a losing record in the big 12. Oh, so. no, correct. Yeah. So, so like I said, I mean, the, the, the stuff can be skewed in terms of like I'm saying, if, Maybe you get a home win against someone else. You can kind of say, well, this hasn't happened in forever. But I think my, my point is that Tech hasn't been good in the last decade. I think that's a fair assessment. Is that oh, for sure? Yeah, that fair. No doubt. That's fair. And, and, and I think people are just thinking that you get a new coach and then all of a sudden you're going to have this wonderkind all of a sudden and everything's going to turn. I think, again, and I've made this point before, I'm not saying that I'm you know, trying to be this positive person, but I think there's a lot to be said about building a foundation of what uh, should be a tough team. And I certainly think there are small things that have shown that the fact that they've been in games minus again, Oklahoma, at some point that will change when you get the talent to Texas tech. But I think they found other ways to get talent in here. That being the transfer route, or some other ways are they're obviously developing their freshmen a little bit better. They're getting some good talented freshmen coming in, as you mentioned through the recruiting ranks, but uh, the, the, the things that are really holding them back right now. And I think that's going to be the big question. And I know you've, you've already kind of put your two cents into it. I certainly think there's going to be some changes in the coaching staff. And I think that's going to be the one way that maybe either quells fans, if you will, in terms of the, of the decision-making, if you will. But I certainly think it's something that needs to be done because if not, then, I mean, how do you go into next year saying, well, if you have the same staff, how is anything going to change? Which uh, is, um, trying to think my point here. Yeah. If, if, if you don't make changes, where, 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 where do you, how do you sell the fans that, uh, that yeah. thing would be better? That's the, yeah. that's the thing. Now and now here's the reality: if you don't change head coaches, a lot of fans are going to be are going to tune out anyway. And um, so, and again, I don't think Texas Tech's going to change head coaches for yeah. reasons stated stated earlier. So uh, they're going to have to. Uh, only only thing that's going to change it for these guys is is to to win and to uh, win a lot more and stop and, and start winning all these uh, games that are close. Otherwise, we're going to be you know, talking about the same thing here at this time next year. Or we'll be talking about who's the next head coach at Texas Tech. Yeah. That's happened before, yeah. a couple of years ago. Um, not to put you on the spot, but do you remember who the non-conference schedule is next year? Because maybe that helps a little bit in terms of what could be extra wins. Because I know that was something that I had mentioned is sometimes you stack those non-conference games to where you can kind of win a couple get one or two I, I was actually trying to look this up while you were talking so i apologize for putting you on the spot but well i mean it's the um it is the because i know arizona's not coming back if i remember correctly of course they're next year is houston at in houston at nrg stadium steven sfa in lubbock and florida international in lubbock now that is uh that differs from their Tech has the waiver from the uh, Big 12 because Big 12 uh, wants wants all its teams to play another Power 5 team in non-conference play. Yeah. Uh, Tech, not forgetting the reason I've written about this, but Tech has a waiver where they don't have to play – they don't have to play a, a Power 5 team next year. So next year it's Houston, SFA, and, and mm-hmm. Ford International. So theoretically, yeah, the way it's set up, 
we should be able to to go uh, three and zero, and or at least two and one, at least. Well, if you and, if you if you lose to Houston, I mean Houston's not very good this year. If you lose to Houston FSA or Florida International, uh, there's going to be hell to pay because you should be favored in all three of those games. Well, again, uh, unfortunately, uh, you will be there, Don. I know it's going to be a tough one to watch. I know uh, 11 a.m. isn't your favorite kick, but uh, I think just to make you feel better, I'm going to gift you a little breaking news here, even though you've kind of already known this. For your suffering, if you will, on Saturday, I'll let you uh, cover the old Red Raiders hosting Kansas in basketball, which is a lot better of a matchup. So. That will be yep. that will be an interesting one on December the uh, December 17th. the seventeenth. The seventeenth. If everybody can stay uh, COVID free, yeah, so that we don't have uh, another game cancellation. Yeah, and, and I was gonna say I, I don't know how much college basketball you watch, but when Kansas played uh, Kentucky, that would be one that you probably wouldn't have liked to watch because that was uh, something where there was not a lot of meat basketball. That was uh, I was pushing back basketball a little bit, but. I know people are kind of happy uh, to talk a little bit, of, a little bit of basketball. Unfortunately, Texas Tech obviously coming off that loss to Houston, but they're looking to bounce back. They had to switch some things up. They're able to play Troy 8 p.m. on Friday, so obviously there's tickets available for that. Chris Beard will appreciate me saying that, and not that he listens to this, but he would appreciate me telling you that. So obviously there's tickets for that. There's, I'm sure there's plenty of tickets for Kansas and Texas Tech football at Jones AT&T Stadium at 11 a.m. Um, again, appreciate you doing this, Don. I know uh, it's tough. You and I obviously have a pretty busy schedule now that both of our basketball and football schedules are kind of combining right now. But uh, that's why I gave you last week off. You enjoyed Turkey Day. So hopefully hopefully that was at least good for you. That was great. That was great. I'm sure it was. <laughs> so I guess that's it for uh, I guess that's it for this week until uh, after the game. Again, text yeah. Tech in Kansas, 11 a.m. on Saturday. Jones AT&T Stadium, final Final home game, and I we think final game for uh, Texas Tech football this year. Again, NCAA says there's there's no no eligibility requirement for bowl games this year, but uh, with all the uh, bowls being canceled, I assume uh, even a, a foreign sex record is is not going to be get Texas Tech a postseason. So that'll probably do it for the 2020 year, and then uh, next in the week at the next week week after that, we'll see. What develops as we have uh, signing day, if nothing else, we have signing day. Yep, early signing day. December 16th through December 18th. But, again, that will put a wrap, o- wrap on it for us this evening. We uh, appreciate you listening, as always, uh, for Carl Silva, Jr. I'm Don Williams from the Avalanche Journal. Thanks for uh, tuning in all season to the uh, Tech Tech Football Podcast. <laughs>